Good morning, everyone. Greet you in Christ's name. And invite you to open your Bibles to First Thessalonians 4. Well, actually, 5. And while you're turning there, um, about 10 years ago, in fact, 10 years ago next month, about a month before Natalie Wood would have turned 87, police pushed open the door where she had lived for most of her life. Uh, this was in Sydney, Australia. And the house was dusty and quiet, and there were spider webs all over the place. And they started looking through the house, and they found her the skeletal remains of Natalie Wood in her upstairs bedroom beside the bed lying on the floor. And after an investigation, they determined that she had been lying there for nearly eight years. And her uh, neglected house, kind of ramshackle in the inner city. So in that time, in those eight years, they didn't find or know of a single person that checked on her. Her relatives didn't try to contact her. Her neighbors assumed that she had moved in with a family somewhere else and was gone. The utility companies and the local council didn't notice anything wrong, even though there were unpaid bills piling up outside her door. It seemed like she was forgotten, but no one gave her a second thought. The last confirmed sighting of Natalie Wood was on December 30. 2003, when she went to a local pharmacy to pick up some blood pressure medicine. That's a very tragic, sad story, and that she was neglected wasn't all the fault of her family and neighbors. She was a reclusive type of person, for one thing, and apparently had no friends, really. So, um, thinking about that and how sad that is, and that there weren't people around her to care for her, I think about a brotherhood. I think about a Christian brotherhood, a church. In a mature Christian brotherhood, everyone should matter. Everyone should care about everyone else. That's how it works in a mature Christian brotherhood. And um, that was a powerful testimony of the early church. That was a powerful testimony in the, um, in the Anabaptist church in its beginning, where people work it together and love each other and serve each other. That's a powerful testimony. 
And it's a blessing to the people that are part of it. So, uh, in First Thessalonians, the last verse there of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, comfort one another with the words. And then in chapter 5, beginning at verse 11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but also pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And what I want us to notice and be reminded of this morning, notice that this is uh, written to the Thessalonians. It was written to the church. This is not a pastoral epistle. And notice the direction that we're given here. In uh, chapter 4, verse 18, it's an instruction to every member to comfort one another, thinking about Christ's return. And then in verse 11, where we started reading in chapter 5, uh, the same kind of uh, instruction, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. And then it, it makes a little detour. There's an insertion there where it, uh, where it says that we're to respect and honor our leaders and um, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be a peace among yourselves so you're not a problem for them. I add that. Uh, and we'll not dwell on those couple of verses but um, these are all instructions to the church. And then it goes on. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So, there we see some serious pastors to warn the unruly, to comfort the faint-hearted, uphold, support the weak, and all of this done in patience, and watch that no one returns evil for evil, and watch for yourselves and for everyone else around you in the, in the church, that you're pursuing the best. Now, some churches would say, and actually have it written in their, in their constitution, that uh, church member problems are kind of like the deacon's work. 
and in many churches, uh, even Anabaptist churches, that the minister's work. If there's a problem in the church, it's the minister's problem to work with it and fix it. But here's some unruly people, apparently, uh, that might show up there in Thessalonica. And he wasn't instructing that the minister show there. Maybe it would be a minister. But it's an instruction to the congregation, to the brothers, to the sisters. And um, what, what often happens is that people who notice a problem and are concerned about a problem, they go to the ministers and tell them about it and uh, expect them to fix it. I've had that happen a few times. Uh, I also saw it happen where a brother saw a brother in trouble, in serious trouble. And he went to that troubled brother, spent some time with him, confronted him, and then brought it to the church. Paul didn't say that church troubles among church members are the leadership's problem. He said that addressing those things are anyone's role for anyone to address. Leadership may get involved at some point, just depending on what is going on, maybe the Matthew 18 situation. And ministry are to be pastors and pastors and shepherds. But this is talking about a congregation, about brothers and sisters uh, looking out for each other and saying to us, uh, to all of us, the leaders and laity all, that the brotherhood is a mission for all of us and a concern and a burden for all of us. So that's what I wanted us to pick up there from uh, from First Thessalonians, that these instructions given there are for us all. And let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, another, maybe this is an even more familiar passage. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11. And he himself, this is our Lord, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about 
with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So, to the church has been given uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And then he explains why they were given. And the reason is for the purpose of equipping the saints, genuine believers, holy ones, to equip the saints by teaching, by inspiration and encouragement, and by Making, helping them to feel a burden, and providing them tools. To do a service to the church by equipping the saints. And then he explains what the goal of that service is. There's two parts of it, uh, two parts to the goal. The first is a unity of faith, and Milo touched on that last week. A unity of faith in Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus, the Son of God. And Milo talked about uh, the immersion in Christ that is the center of the church and the... the uh, what unifies us and our point of unity, Christ at the center, a unity of faith, believing in who Jesus is, uh, worshiping Jesus, and following Jesus, obeying Jesus, and becoming like Jesus, which leads us to the second purpose, which is maturity, growing, of the perfect man is what the New King James uses. And measuring that growth against the standard of all that is Christ. Measuring against Jesus. And not that we become perfect like Jesus is perfect, but that we're growing and maturing into the likeness of Jesus. And not remaining children, he says in verse 14, but growing. Uh, not being unstable and easily influenced and swayed and shaken in their faith, uh, or deceived into errors of believing and behavior that are wrong, 
uh, by the the uh, evil one or his allies here in the world, but uh, growing into stability and and uh, no longer fighting and and arguing and tussling over toys like little children do, or even older children, but growing and maturing and becoming like Jesus into Christ as we are in the love of God. Healthy Christian. Flourishing Christian. You know, Jesus grew as a boy at the end of Luke 2, it says. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. His mind, his spirit, soul, and body, he grew taller. So, we're not to remain children and continuing in the struggles that we've had all our life and not making any progress, covetousness, pride, rebellion, impurity, anger, whatever, but growing in Christ and bearing spiritual fruit. Some, some Christians have made great and rapid strides. I read a testimony of, uh, well, heard a testimony. A minister friend of mine from uh, another state telling about someone who joined their church. And he had been a wicked, wicked man and a gambler, immoral, and whatever, and a drunkard. And he was converted and he was changed. He was changed dramatically. Some of his, some of his vices, he was just delivered from, it seemed like, so suddenly and so completely that it was just miraculous. Other things were more ongoing temptations that he, that he battled, but he grew. But that's an inspiration. Some make that kind of progress. Many of us grow slowly, more slowly. I still have room to grow. I still have room to grow. But instead of being children and tossed through and to and fro and so on, he says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. And uh, one translation and some commentaries I saw gives the thought there of holding truth close. Closely holding truth, like embracing it in your heart, in your life, so that it comes out in your speech and in the fruit of your life. Let us grow into all things into Him, following His example and His teaching and with His power, the one who is the head, Christ. Instead of staying children. And then we come to that verse. Uh, 16, that's a little complicated and difficult. Um, we just read a bit ago. I'll read the uh, New English translation. 
it says this way, from him the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does its part, the body grows in love. The New Living Translation says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work to help the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So here we have a church. Here we have numerous parts, members of a church. And there are points of contact. There are ligaments that hold us together. And these points of contact, and what he's describing here, is blessings flowing through at those points. Uh, When I meet someone and they encourage me, a blessing flows from them to me. And and, uh, that is what God would want us to be experiencing and what He wants us to be a part of. Because we're supposed to be this blessing and encouragement and comfort like we saw and this admonition that we saw in uh, Thessalonians. Those things flow in both directions. Sometimes it's me in great need and someone has an encouraging word. And uh, sometimes maybe I bless someone else in a conversation or whatever. But it, it flows, it is to flow both ways. And it is to uh, strengthen the bonds that uh, hold us together. And God is working in that to nourish and bless and encourage us in spiritual growth, in spiritual health, and in love for God and for one another. And when you think about that, and when you think about our church, I don't know how you would measure it. I know this is happening among us. I have been blessed many times by other people, and I know that others are being a blessing to one another, praying together, discussing needs or whatever. Uh, here recently, uh, you know how sometimes you have to be careful when you send electronic communication. Um, you know how the address uh, bar can sometimes help you out. I, I sent an email by that kind of accident I was trying to send it to uh, the advisors and the ministry, and instead of Ben Miller, I got Ben Cross. And so someone else pointed that out to me, and I apologized to Ben Cross, invited him to come to church here. But that happens easily. But there was an accident uh, here this past week. Something, a message popped up on my screen. And it says, uh, I, I'm not, this is not verbatim, a good morning, sister, somebody. And it was followed by some encouragement. I prayed for you. 
I prayed for you in the night. And again this morning. And then uh, shortly afterwards, they noticed it and I got an message. And they had, it wasn't intended for me. I was obvious on the spot. So sometimes an accident like that can really be a painful mistake. And uh, it could even be hurtful. Sometimes they're just very amusing. But uh, that one really blessed me. I was thinking about this message and had been working on it for now and then, thinking about it for a few weeks. But that just really blessed me. So that happened here among us. And that happened. That's good. So I'm not saying anything new to us. This is a refresher, okay? And a reminder. And uh, for myself, it's, a, it's an encouragement, a challenge. I can do better. I want to do better. So how do we get there? How do we... Uh, okay, this is something I want us to notice about being people that can edify others. What are the characteristics of uh, people that uh, edify others? Well, first, something has to happen. Uh, turn to Jude, the first, well, the only chapter, and look at verse 20. In Jude. This tells us that first we, uh, well, he doesn't give any order about this, but he is speaking there about edifying ourselves. So in verse 20 it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Building yourselves up. Now, obviously, it's not really us, but it is us taking the steps, doing the things that are necessary for God's Spirit to live in and work in our hearts. Our personal times with the Word and with prayer in private worship, adoring God and our Savior, and pleading for God's work in our hearts, for His power in our lives, and guidance for our mission here as individuals, protection from the evil one, and confession when we need it, and repentance. So, to be effective, we need to start by edifying ourselves. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and keeping yourselves in the love of God. So, let's look at some characteristics, and these are no surprises to you. The first one is love, of course, and just a genuine affection. And if you go through the New Testament and uh, look at where it talks about love, it's just repeated and emphasized over and over again. The other characteristics that I'll mention are all grounded in and 
spring from love. It's, it's the high calling of God, and it's the motivation of the Christian to love one another. So, Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 5, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. I was, uh, I mentioned how, what a testimony love is for uh, loving one another is to others. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you love one another. And in Romans it says, love is to be without hypocrisy. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. A deep love. Romans 12, 9, 10. So, that's very foundational that we love others. In edifying others, there needs to be prayer. And a person who is uh, building up other people is a praying person. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And it doesn't mention prayer in that verse. But if we're going to bear someone's burden, we're already loving them, we're already caring about them, and we're concerned, and we want to lift where we can. And the place to start is prayer. God helping, God intervening in that situation and in encouraging. And maybe it will lead to further steps of contact, maybe not all, but uh, prayer about burdens. That's one way we can can lift uh, and, and be an encouragement to others and bless them. Uh, a good exercise for, for, for me, I sometimes will, uh, I have a directory handy, and uh, sometimes just go through and maybe over a, a, a week's time, and just pray for everyone. That's a good exercise. Sometimes, uh, when you come to a name, you may notice something that you don't with some of the others. And it may be a signal. Maybe that name kind of bothers you. And something isn't quite like you think Christ would want it to be in your heart about that person. That happens. And so, that's something to pray about right there. And needful to pray about. Uh, pray for somebody that you don't feel just real warm toward. And pray that God would help you feel warm and sincere affection for them and for the best for them. And we can pray, God, give me a burden. Give me burdens. Help me see needs. And we can pray, order my day. Order my time at church. Uh, and help me fulfill my mission. 
if we don't, think about that, pray about that, we'll still meet people and we can still be a blessing. But I think you'll find that um, you'll find yourself thinking more intentionally about time with people, whether it's at a Christian service or here at church, uh, whether it's, um, you know, where you meet them other places or whatever. But pray that God would order the contact. And you'll find that there will be more coincidences Maybe somebody you've had a special burden about and wish you would have an opportunity and pray about it. And would you believe, as you stepped out the door, you almost knocked her down. Not really, but you ran into each other in a way, a very unexpected way. Those kind of things can happen. Prayer. Another uh, characteristic is humility. In Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So when you meet someone else, uh, it's not, you know, sometimes uh, we we can think, how do I compare to this person? I feel a little intimidated by this person. How do I measure up against them? But it's not about that. It's not about trying to be greater than he is to tell the biggest story or to know the most important person or to gain some status by being a friend of someone. We... A humble person is interested in that person. He's a servant. He, he's a, someone who washes the feet of others in his heart. What are, what are that person's interests and challenges and struggles? And, you know, this doesn't happen with just uh, the first time we run into somebody necessarily. But we care about this person. It, it creates a feedback and things can develop. But that a person who is an edifier is a humble person. Another characteristic I think of uh, of uh, someone who is edifying is appreciation. Paul, I think Paul was very good at this. He doesn't give a lot of examples. But he does in the chapter, in chapter 16 of Romans, I commend to you Phoebe. He calls attention to Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church. And he, he's expressing appreciation, commendation. And, you know, there are many people that minister to him. And uh, I, I just believe that Paul was a person who just had an attitude of appreciation and thanksgiving. First to God. He often thanked God for people. And I believe he thanked people for their kind deeds to him, for services they rendered, for prayers they offered for him in his ministry. And when we do that, uh, we're acknowledging that we had a need uh, 
or you bless me in some way, uh, but in some way beyond myself. I, I'm not doing everything for myself. Other people bless me. Thank you. I appreciate it. it it's a good practice, a good uh, habit to acknowledge the efforts of others. It does something for them when, when we do, and it does something for us. It builds up. It was a point of contact. Another characteristic is patience. Now we exhort you, brethren, we read, warn the unruly and so on, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. With, uh, in the fourth chapter, he says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Some translations use patience here for long-suffering. So we can look at someone else's trouble, somebody that actually that has a need and needs to be edified, and we can look at their trouble, their weakness, uh, or hear their concern, or learn of their failure, and just be irritated at them, impatient with them, just get over it. That's not a helpful attitude. How patient has God been with us? How gentle, how patient has God been with us? When we're patient with people, it's a blessing to them. Another characteristic I find is running out is empathy. Just being able to sympathize with the needs of others. Galatians 6.1, If any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And that, you know, this is another example of uh, an admonition and instruction to the church at large. In Galatians, it's not a pastoral epistle here again. But, but showing a, considering yourself, you know, you have your own set of problems. You can identify with this brother, listening, caring, sympathy, encouragement. In the case of dealing with a trespass, maybe it needs to be a little more firm, but being, saying the truth in love, with patience and kindness, empathy, being able to sympathize. You don't know exactly what it's like, but you know what pain is, and, and you suffered something, and you can care about that person. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Sharing in experiences, comforting, celebrating, a, a, uh, I want to insert a familiar story here that Jesus told the Good Samaritan. So this man went down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and robbers beat him up and nearly killed him. 
ripped his clothes off and beat him up and wounded him and left him half dead. And so, it so happened that a priest came down the road and he passed by on the other side. So later on, a Levite came down the road. And when he got there, it said, and saw this man, says he came and looked. He came a little closer to just see what had actually happened to him. And then he passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan came and came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he cared for him. He cared about him. He had empathy for him. And he engaged. He didn't just dismiss it and walk by on the other side. Love moves us to be good Samaritans and to feel for others and feel with others and care about them. Edify them. And then the last one I have listed here is mercy. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Ephesians 4.32 What a gift forgiveness is in the Christian life, in making peace, in helping someone else find peace, someone that has wronged us. Don't set up conditions before you will forgive someone. And we can have, we must have a forgiving attitude even if the wrong is not acknowledged or forgiveness asked for. There's obviously a gap, a defect, uh, something incomplete. There's not really reconciliation fully there, but we can have peace uh, by extending mercy and forgiving. Um, but especially thinking of our brothers, and in the church, and being merciful toward one another. It affects others when we do. It affects us very much when we do. So we all affect others. And God has called us to the high calling of edifying and encouraging one another in the brotherhood. Uh, if we don't, uh, it's possible to have a very harmful effect. Even in the church, in fact, in Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, another admonition to us, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So what's happening? So here's the church, 
And here are these contacts. But instead of blessing flowing through, something else is happening. There's less love where the bitterness is at and is oozing between through these connections. There's less love. There's more self-centeredness. There's less humility and more strife. There's less appreciation and more complaining, more criticism, more slander. There's less patience and more frustration with others and anger. There's less empathy and more coldness and uncaring. There's less mercy and more malice. I, I think sometimes about the uh, Corinthian church and how it says in chapter 11, uh, they were a troubled church with factions and differences and conflict and tensions. And they came together for communion. But they left the service, the communion service, worse off than when they came. That's one of the saddest things. There were points of contact, but there wasn't edification. Therefore, comfort and edify one another, just as you are, as you also are doing. Paul wrote there in, in verse eleven of chapter five, and I think what we, uh, what I wanted for myself and my prayer for this message and for all of us. To comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing, but let's let's pray God help us do more. Let's pray God help us do better. And that's my prayer for myself and for all of us that we could be uh, grow together in love as God would have us. Shall we have a closing song?